This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, where we examine topics of interest to people who seek a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Today, my guest is Glenn Rader, and he is a person in long-term recovery, a public speaker and author. He has published two books, uh, both of which I have read. One is Stop Things You Must Know Before Trying to Help Someone with Addiction, and the book, which is the subject of today's episode, Modern 12-Step Recovery, Alcoholics Anonymous for the 21st Century. Glenn is a friend and someone whose work I respect, so it's so nice to have him on the podcast. Welcome, Glenn, to Beyond Belief Sobriety. Good to have you. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Why don't we start, Glenn, if you don't mind, just uh, letting uh, the listeners and the viewers know a little bit about your background and how you got the idea to um, put this book together. Um, I've been in recovery for 12 years. I was uh, badly addicted to alcohol and opiates and uh, pot as well. I um, was fortunate to have a good group of people behind me. I got into inpatient, outpatient, uh, and then joined Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, it's been very successful for me. I'm an agnostic person, but uh, had good coaching regarding the steps, and uh, it's really worked out well for me. Um, what led me to writing the book was uh, something pretty fundamental. If you're in the treatment centers today, uh, working with uh, therapists or just participating in the AA Mutual Support Network, there's a group of young people in the pipeline and, and adults as well who have a difficult time embracing uh, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous is arguably the most successful self-help group in history. It's had an 80-year tenure so far. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty amazing. And although the 12 steps are a little antiquated in language, they are actually quite an innovation on the part of Bill Wilson and company because they embrace a lot of the modern cognitive behavioral therapy uh, that's part of modern psychology. And that, I believe, is the reason it's lasted that long, uh, even in its current form. Yeah, and we'll get into that, too. That And that's kind of accidental on his part, wasn't it? It wasn't like he was thinking that that was cognitive behavioral therapy. I think it wasn't even developed at that time, was it? So it was just kind of accidentally um, backed into something that turned out to be helpful. Yes, and his his it's all street smarts and working working with people. I mean, they had influences what I call casual influences from the William James and the Carl Jung and, uh, and medical from Dr. Silkworth and company, but it's largely a layman's effort by some bright people that wanted to help others. You mentioned um, as in the first part of your book that one of the benefits about a 12-step recovery program is its flexibility. Can you talk about that a little bit? The Mutual Support Network of Alcoholics Anonymous is an international network uh, there are 125,000 plus groups today, you, and, and there's statistics, pretty recent statistics. There's 35 million copies of the big book produced and uh, like 70 languages. But where the flexibility comes in is that network with the number of people involved in it and the number of meetings at different times of the day and the flexibility around scheduling it is unprecedented almost, uh, you know, in the United States for sure, and certainly but it's working its way internationally. So the person who gets involved has the flexibility to work around their schedule and make it work for them. 
It's also got a large number of people willing to mentor and coach. And that provides a lot of flexibility because you have to look a little bit, but you don't have to look too far to get somebody willing to help. The, se the second component of the flexibility is this. The 12-step program is a fairly straightforward program. It's based on working with a sheet of 12 steps. But then around that, you have a lot of flexibility to build on your program with whatever you like. Looking at podcasts, for example, of this type, or uh, reading literature that's out there that supports the 12 steps. So as long as you hang in around the core of AA and the principles, you can build on that over time and get a great self-development program going. And that's what I mean by the flexibility. There are other things out there, smart recovery and things that are working their way into modern recovery. But in some ways, those are uh, a little more, I don't know, in my view, a little more textbook and a little more uh, less flexible in that regard. I was thinking about smart recovery. So I went through the training to become a facilitator for smart recovery. I haven't been to a lot of the meetings, but the one thing that I think that they're missing that that AA has is the fellowship component. It's that warmth, you know, and when you, when you talk about it being textbook, it kind of is, and it's, and it's helpful. I enjoy it. I enjoy the meetings, but you have a facilitator at the meetings who is kind of the person kind of in charge of things. And, uh, make sure that the meeting runs smoothly and it's less of a, it has less of a feeling of a layperson's peer type of support. Although it, it truly is that. Yes. I, I'm a big supporter of any form of recovery where somebody can get into it and embrace it. And, and uh, smart recovery is one of those. I would never be disparaging about any of those except they don't have the sponsor sponsee relationship in the program and it doesn't have the same, I don't think, uh, collaboration and camaraderie that you have in the AA structure. And maybe they'll evolve over time. I mean, they're they're pretty new. AA evolved. AA evolved over time. The meeting structures of today, I'm sure, are far different than those from the 1930s. True. That's very true. So um, I think I, I think I probably already asked you this when you when you started, but. Um, you mentioned you no, you mentioned in your book that um, one of the reasons for writing it is that AA doesn't really do a good job of presenting itself to the public. Actually, you and I were talking about this last week. Um, and can you talk about that a little bit? AA we don't we don't really have a good way of presenting ourselves to people. Right. Uh, in my research, I was doing research for the book over a few months, several months and trying to figure out the best angle I could take in terms of helping Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, into the 21st century. And the thing that stood out to me the most was that AA doesn't have a formal introduction to the program in modern language with a modern presentation. There's a lot of dialogue around let's change the steps and let's change the big book and the literature and things of that nature. But I think the starting point should be to put a good front end on what you already have. And that's the primary reason for writing the book, to provide a modern introduction to AA that has a bit on psychology, the fundamentals of recovery, and a good working program, and even what is AA. Exactly. I mean, and that it that is so true. Um, I have to tell you, uh, so when I, when I came into AA for the first time, like 30 some years ago, 
And what I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous was just um, what I would read in the paper, what I'd see in the movies. I knew very little about it. And it was only later that I learned about the history, about how it all came together. But in your book, you lay it out really well about what Alcoholics Anonymous is and how it came to be. And you do it in a way that is, you know, easily understandable, you know, and and that a person can follow. And it is kind of important that, that someone understand, you know, what the program is. It's like an introduction that this is what this is who we are, where we came from and what we're about. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we need for the young person entering recovery. We need something that gives them an introduction that's user friendly, something that gets away from the word of mouth introduction. Part of the thing that makes it, and I'm going to use the word culty very loosely here, but for a newcomer that walks in, when they're presented with this word of mouth presentation, just trust me, show up at a meeting, get a sponsor, work the steps, that's a little vague. And, and Alcoholics Anonymous is so much more than that. You know, it's, it's, it's bigger and badder than that. And it should be presented as a formal program of recovery. And that's one of the reasons, uh, main reasons for writing the book, to put that modern face on. Yeah. And you also, uh, before you get into the program of recovery, you talk a little bit about what addiction and recovery is, which, which I think is useful. Uh, that, you know, in, in, uh, and that's something that we don't really have going on right now in AA as, as such with the literature that we have now. I mean, you do have the beginning where it talk, where you have the doctor's opinion, you have a chapter more about alcoholism, but it's not really laid out in the more modern scientific way that you have it in your book. And can you talk a little bit about what addiction is and what recovery is in a, in a way that, that people can understand that? The primary reason for including a little section on addiction and the fundamentals recovery in the front of the book is to set the stage for what Alcoholics Anonymous does for you and what Working the Steps does for you. I think without that, you're going from a cold start right into recovery. And for a person, a person in treatment or in therapy or walking in the doors of AA, it's important to have a little background in the science and the fundamentals of recovery so that you can uh, look at yourself in a therapeutic way rather than being just a person that's lacking willpower and can't get their act together. So if you have a little dose, and there's only you know a few pages dedicated to both topics in the front of the book, but it lays enough groundwork so that when we start talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, in simple terms, Alcoholics Anonymous is where you go to address this um, allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. But you need to have a little bit of that background going into it. So I decided to include that in the front of the book, and it's really worked out well. You know, I've got some good reception from that lead into the book rather than just starting in, in into the 12 steps. Or right, something. right. No, I think I think it's needed. It's uh, especially for somebody I'm, I'm kind of thinking about somebody who was like me, who's in their 20s, maybe early 30s, and is just now having a problem with alcohol, um, doesn't really know anything about recovery or addiction. And 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 so this this kind of helps that person along. You know, this is something I remember actually myself, Glenn, um, going to the library and reading anything I can get my hands on about alcoholism because I was just stunned that I could actually be an alcoholic. <laughs> I didn't know, didn't know, didn't know anything about it. But you talk about recovery too. And 
I, this is something I just learned. I recently went through some training for, to become a peer support specialist here in Missouri. And they talked about recovery and, and we went through the definition of recovery as being a a self-directed process of change. And you talked about self-direction and the importance of self-direction as part of the recovery. And, you know, I think that that's not talked about very often. And I find it really interesting. Can, can you kind of go into that a little bit about what self-direction is for in a person's recovery? A self-directed person is fundamentally a person who takes on the responsibility for their recovery. And it's not simply acknowledging that you need to do something. It's being an empowered person to go out and access the resources that are being presented to you or that's available to you, and then putting yourself in the path of those resources and taking the help provided by them. A person who I would say is an entitled person in recovery, and I've not actually used that term before, but an entitled person in recovery would be somebody who's sitting waiting for it to happen to them. And I'm not talking about it in the higher power sense of happening to them. I'm talking about waiting for things to happen to them, being angry at people because they're not helping them enough, you know, and buying into the addiction. So a a self-directed person is somebody who has accepted that they have a uh, psychological and physical issue and they go out and access help for that. Yeah. Taking responsibility for their own recovery. And it doesn't mean they're on their own. There'll be people around them supporting them and wanting to help them, but they have to jump on the horse And it's a key component of that. Uh, They did some work. uh, They had a a consortium at Betty Ford Hazelden, and that was one of the main things that popped out of that discussion was uh, the need to uh, embrace self-direction and try to instill that in people. And I'm a big believer in that. And one of the things the program actually does for you, uh, AA program in psychology side of it, is personal empowerment, which which they go hand in hand. And, you know, that's interesting. I've always kind of believed that too. Um, there, because of the wording of the steps, um, some people have the impression, especially with the first step where it says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable, that we are powerless over everything, that, 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 we, that we're not empowered to do anything. Whereas I have always kind of looked at that as, you know, being able to acknowledge this is empowering this because when I when I wasn't acknowledging and I couldn't do anything about the problem now at least I know I can recognize there's a problem I can do something about it get on the money that's exactly my view of it yep yep but the language does kind of throw some people off and I've talked to actually um, some women in particular who who had some objection about you know the the idea of being powerless but um, it's just uh, I guess just a word <laughs> yeah, to- you might be yeah, you might be powerless over the addiction but right. you're not over the solution. Correct. Right. That's, that's how I've always seen it. You're powerless over, over alcohol. So, um, let's talk about what a person can expect from the recovery process as they go through it. And like, for example, you mentioned that there are things that, you know, you can take care of an AA, but there are other things that AA can't address. Yes. And I thought in the description of alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous that's provided in the book. And I tried to do a comprehensive job of that because that's one thing that AA doesn't have as part of its front end. They, you can get pamphlets. They provide some pamphlets 
and you can get some reading in the grapevine and things. But there's not a book called What is Alcoholics Anonymous? and given some detail about what goes on there. But I thought it was important in the section on the book to have an understanding of what is not in the scope of AA because a person walking into AA needs to realize that. That's part of actually, part of the empowerment is knowing what it doesn't provide you and then maybe going out and getting it. Um, Things like um, uh, detox and medical care, some of the basic things like that are not part of the AA process. And a person might not know that getting into it. They might pick up this book and then they get the background in it. Psychological therapy, nutrition counseling, financial support, job assistance, and interfaces with outside agencies, including the law and other agencies. Those things are not provided as part of the AA mutual support process. And I think that's healthy for somebody to understand that. And that's one of the reasons for including a page and a half in the book on those things. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I uh, have often thought um, that I, I was kind of fortunate when I, but I was fortunate because I was kind of put in that situation, but there were a lot of people in the community who helped me besides Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can go down from the police officer who arrested me to the judge who sentenced me <laughs> to the um, addictions program that I had to attend for my probation to um, the first doctor I went to, um, you know, all, all those people ha- played a role in my recovery. They all knew I needed help and um, they treated me that way, you know, and um, I'm, I'm grateful that I had that. Then I also took the time to um, really address some of the underlying issues that I had. And, you know, I went to group therapy, I went to individual therapy, I, I went to a lot of therapy. <laughs> I did as well. I mean, I, I had therapy. It was very healthy. And I promote that, you know, and there are sections in the book that it's actually promoting that, that you reach out outside and go and enjoy the great support network that's out there. Don't access therapy, access meditation. And there are resources that are affordable. So like when I was first starting out and I, I didn't have very much money, um, there's an organization that would charge you on a sliding scale. So I had to pay very, very little. Um, the The help I got was from someone with a master's degree, but he was still very helpful. And it was my first experience in therapy. And it was um, something um, that I still value to this day. So, yeah, I think it is important to know that, you know, AA is a great support, but it isn't, it can't take care of all of all of the needs that you do have in recovery. And when you talk about nutrition as well, that's something that we don't even talk about in AA. And oftentimes um, we eat a lot of cookies and so forth. So it's not well, like... I think the cookies are, the cookies are okay. They're essential. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, go, I'll defend the cookies all day. Uh, but I thought it was important in talking about recovery, not only mention the self-direction and abstinence, which I'm, you know, I'm, that's important, but to mention the nutrition component of it. Because I think uh, that's one thing for a, for a young person or an adult coming into the program is understanding that these things can lead to bad things, you know, in a health context. And you might not feel it going on, but there are changes in your uh, mechanism in your body and your brain going on while you're slowly integrating the drugs and alcohol into you. And, and I needed to present that. It, that was both presented uh, – I'm not going to say as a scare tactic, but it was presented to create some awareness about the seriousness of the new 
the health side of it. And then the last of the four dimensions, and the most important is the cognitive behavioral transformation. Yeah, now let's talk about that. That that was really, I thought, the heart of the book, where you really lay out how the 12 steps um, can can be related to uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Can you can you go into that a little bit? And can you also explain how what kind of background research you did to to draw the parallels? I'll start with drawing the parallels first. I spent uh, several months, you know, reading. I mean, it's not continuous reading, but several books over several months on the core of cognitive behavioral therapy. I also did some reading on acceptance commitment therapy, which is one of the like they call the fifth wave of, you know, CBT and that, but it's, or of modern, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. And uh, I spent a lot of time studying it from the standpoint of what are the core principles that I think intersect with the 12 steps? And what is the 12 steps doing for you in that regard? And so part of it was a mapping of the 12 steps to the big principles that are available in cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think that a person today entering recovery in AA needs to know that. They need to know that it has a foundation, even though Bill Wilson and company, it was a layman's effort, you know, they were working with the Oxford group and then working on their own. They had this six informal steps and things like that. They actually walked their way into something pretty powerful. And the modern audience needs to understand that. So I spent time studying cognitive behavioral therapy intersecting it with the 12 steps. And what you see in the book are eight different areas of CBT that I think the program really helps with, helps with a lot. Can you go into a little bit of that about, about exactly what type of um, CBT and what, what process or what part of this, like are there particular steps that help with certain types of CBT or is it just like all the program altogether? That's a very good question. There isn't a one-on-one mapping, uh, but there are steps that help you along the way to certain elements. For example, one of the things that I think is is powerful in cognitive behavioral therapy is getting you to be self-directed and having personal empowerment about things. And I think the first three steps are real big on that in terms of getting you to accept your position, getting you to turn to outside resources for help, like in step two and three, and start to embrace those things, puts you in the path of being personally empowered. There are many other things along the way. Uh, So the steps don't map one-on-one with them. I've seen attempts to do it, and there's things out there like that. And again, it's all great stuff, but I decided to take the bigger picture approach to it. For example, the second thing I point out in the book First is personal empowerment, then is integrity. And I think in the, the program helps you with your integrity a great deal. And those are the traits of being honest, open, having strong moral and ethical convictions. There's much of that going on in the steps as you go in helping you transform into a person with a higher level of integrity. I think a person going into the program can go in there with a world-class level or going into addiction can have a world-class level of integrity going on, be the most honest, straightforward person. And the drugs and alcohol and the addiction will wreak havoc on that. It's it's something that thrives on dishonesty or actually requires dishonesty to keep the show going. And so the program helps you in that way, helps you with your personal integrity. 
And then there's six other things. The big one, the big one is cognitive flexibility. And that for me is just the uh, ability to, for example, suspend judgment, weigh evidence, consider options, you know, have preferences rather than absolutes, um, to be skeptical about first thoughts. And that's what that flexibility is. And as you're working through the steps and working through step four and five and working through the process of, you know, six, seven, and eight, and nine, you're working on that flexibility, considering your role in things, considering the bigger picture, uh, learning to pause. And I think those are all traits of the 12-step program, and you pick up that along the way. So it helps you regain your integrity and perhaps takes you even a step further. And it, it, is that what helps you overcome what you were you wrote about when you um, wrote about cognitive distortions? So a cognitive distortion being like, um, not I guess not, well, maybe you could, should tell me what it is, the cognitive distortion. Well, I, I will, you know, and, but uh, so where we are so far is that the program helps you with personal empowerment, the integrity, the cognitive flexibility, and there are several other areas of CBT. But I wanted to include the cognitive distortions in there. There was powerful work done by the people in the CBT research. And that research was around, I'm going to put it very bluntly, it was around stinking thinking, in my my words. And uh, the uh, cognitive distortions are typical things that people build into their day-to-day thinking that cause them issues. And uh, Aaron Beck and uh, the, uh, well, it it was Aaron Beck and Albert Ellis uh, working in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy did research around those subjects, but there's 10 of these distortions that people build into their day-to-day thinking. And it's particularly prevalent in people who suffer from addiction and suffer from, uh, oh, stinking thinking and depression and things like that. For example, a couple of those would be overgeneralization is one of the top of those. That's where they have a single event occur. They uh, present a a picture for themselves in the future that it's always going to be like that. It's going to recur and they don't even pause long enough to consider the options around it and that there may be seen a one-time event. And that's driven, the generalization, overgeneralization is driven by self-esteem issues and things of that mm-hmm. nature. Now, I'm not a psychologist. I don't have psychology background. And I introduce that in the front of the book and, you know, in the section that, um, but this part of cognitive behavioral therapy is the core of it. And when I came across cognitive distortions in my research, I had to incorporate it in the book. It's very, very powerful. I thought it was interesting, and it's something I, I had never heard of before. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and it's very powerful. We're using it in the back of the book. There's a four-step process in the appendix, and the cognitive distortions are built into that four-step process. I build it into it so that people, when they're going through their four-step now and not just saying, what's my role in it, they can say, what's my role and what was my thinking process? You know, what was my role? For example, was I disqualifying everything positive around me? 
you know, am I catastrophizing? Right. And so you're able to put more than just a, what's my role in it? Well, I was a, a stinker. So should we talk about uh, the language that you use for the steps um, that the, how, how you worded them, you, um, you, you did rephrase the steps and you also assigned them a one word um, description. Why did you do that? <laughs> what, what was, I mean, I, I found it useful quite frankly to have the one word description um, and I thought that the wording of your steps was accurate and what I recognize, but why don't you just like, kind of introduce that and what your thought process was behind the wording that you used for these steps and that um, the, the one word descriptor. Well, I thought in the book, the one thing that I had to do that was a departure from the AA traditional 12 steps was to provide the reader with a modern translation of the 12 steps. And when I say that, it, they just have an updated lexicon or the wording of the steps is put in modern terms. And the second part is to make them spiritually neutral, to broaden uh, the resource base beyond just, uh, you know, as you read the steps, it has a fairly Judeo-Christian sound to them. So I thought it was important for the modern reader to see a version of the steps that would give them a feeling for the program without the baggage of the language or the spiritual emphasis of some of the steps. And there was a lot of work put into that, a lot of work. And the goal was this. The goal was if you're a new person to the program and look at these modern steps and then walk into a meeting or see them on the wall in a treatment center, you'd be able to go, I got it. I'm just looking at an updated version or if you're a traditional AA person and we're looking at these, you could go, I got it. Meaning and not be put off like I'm not doing Mr. Mr. Raider steps or, you know, or some particular, I don't call them secular steps. That would be so useful. That would have been so useful to me starting out. Uh, I mean, now I can look at those steps in their original 1939 wording and I can see the action underneath them. I can put them in my own, in my own phraseology. I'm, totally comfortable with that. But when I was first introduced to them, I was not, they were kind of foreign, you know, (laughs) no, they aren't, are they? Uh, So it is nice to have them laid out in the modern vernacular and plain English um, that just lets you know that this is what you're actually doing here, you know? Um, And then the one word description descriptions I found really helpful as well. Um, What was the idea behind that? Well, uh, around the program, and if you, and in some of the literature, you'll run across one-word descriptions, you know, of various forms or two-word descriptions of them. But the effort here was to come up with a modern description of each step, of you know, acceptance, trust, commitment, introspection, affirmation, determination, things, words of that nature that are modern terms, and then present the steps with the one word descriptions, which you don't find uh, typically. And when I did that, I I experimented with it and it really popped. Having the the steps along with their one word descriptions really added some depth to them. And so I included that for the reader and thought that it would be a step toward a deeper understanding of what the steps are doing for you. Yeah. So, you know, I could, I could see this book being used by, um, uh, people that are in meetings, uh, maybe somebody uh, would would sponsor someone with this book. 
the workbook in the back is particularly helpful. Um, um, there are some steps that some of my favorite steps that um, maybe I might want to talk about a little bit. Um, first of all, I, I like uh, step four. I find that really interesting. And there's always um, different ways of going about step four. I remember when I, the first time I, I was approaching it, I was following the big books instructions. I went to all the experienced people I knew in AA and I asked them how they did step four, what their experience was with step four. And I got a different answer from almost every single one of them. And uh, I found that, I found that really interesting. Now I know that, well, yeah, because we're all gonna, we're all going to express the experience a little bit differently. We kind of go through a similar process, but in, in, in our own unique way. But can you talk a little bit about how you lay out step four? And then the other steps I want to talk about, my other two favorites are six and seven. Okay. Uh, in, in the back of the book, there's a two-page section uh, for each step. Some of them are combined where it makes sense to combine. Yes, yes. And, and so you're not trying to stretch them. Makes total sense. And, and, but step four is a great standalone step. It's what I call the one-word description there is the introspection step. And it's the self-discovery step. And to do that, you know, when I was writing the book, and I got to this section, and like most writers do, you'll hit a point and you'll, you'll go, okay, I need to take a diversion here. I need to go outside and do some work and come back into here. And one was when I got to step four, under the recommended actions, initially I had go to the internet and get yourself a set of worksheets and da-da-da. And, and, and I realized when I went out there and I did some more research, and I've used them myself, that the sheets that are out there are reasonably antiquated. And the ones that are out there that are represented as, you know, newer versions tend to be, and they're all good efforts on the part of people. I admire their work, but they tend to be around the original things, fear, resentments, and uh, sexual misgivings and harm. And all the spreadsheets are around that and all exactly, the work. Exactly, they are. Mm-hmm. So I decided to take a diversion. I took some time and went off for actually, you know, a couple, three weeks and said, I can structure a good four-step process that does two things. One is, it, may, it gives a formal introduction to it. Number two, it broadens the scope of things. So it's not just fear, resentments, and things of that nature. Uh, you might have guilt. You know, guilt is a part of that. You might have, uh, for example, give you a couple other things, feeling deceived, lonely, manipulated, betrayed, insecure. There's a lot of different things that might fall into the four-step category. So I took the time to write a four-step process, but then also included the two parts from cognitive behavioral therapy that I thought were real healthy, which are uh, character traits and the cognitive distortions. So when you get to your role in it, I'm asking you to pick from those lists so that your role is broader than, again, I'm just a stinker. And, right. you know. <laughs> yeah, that, it was totally original. I, I've not seen, I've not seen step four presented that way before. I thought it was really, uh, I thought it was really unique and uh, on the point and uh, thank you would be extremely, extremely helpful. And you're right. You're totally right too. Um, all of us that, especially if we've, if we've been through the steps before, we, 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 we have those categories, fear, resentment, you know, all, all those things. And it's hard to kind of get those out of, out of your head. And I could, I could certainly see you getting to that point and saying, you know what, I need to, I need to step away 
and, and clear my brain out of what I what I have come to believe this to be and kind of rethink it. That's exactly what it is. And and so that's I consider one of the kind of innovations, you know, if there's an innovation in the book somewhere other than the CBT and the integration of that is providing that. And uh, you know, if one of the listeners uh, wants to go on modern12steprecovery.com, uh, the four-step process is provided on there as a PDF download. Oh, nice. Okay. Along with the uh, modern 12 steps, including the one-step versions. And uh, it's provided on there as a download. So you could use that for this stamp for a sponsee sponsor relationship. What's that website again? Modern 12 step recovery.com. Okay. Modern 12 step recovery.com. Digit one, two recovery.com. Okay, good. I'll put a link to that. And in it's there. on there. I mean, you can purchase the book through there, but it provides you with the download resources on there to make it available to people. And so they can use it in meetings or use it with sponsors and things of that nature. Now the thing I the thing about step six and seven that intrigued me is uh, so when I when I started rethinking these steps um, about five years six years ago whatever uh, when I got to step six and seven I I really um, came to appreciate what I what I uh, those steps and what I actually did and I think that everybody whether they think there's a God that's doing it or not does pretty much the same thing. But that's where you really make a commitment, I think, to work on the change that you need to make in your behaviors that really bring about recovery. And there's a lot of work in there. And there's nothing mentioned about those steps in the actual AA literature except for maybe the 12 and 12. And, and that's kind of like um, kind of mystical. So can you? Mystical is a good word for it. Um, what do you think about those steps and, and, and how, what was your take on those? They are the two steps that I, as an agnostic, had the most difficulty with. And, and even your most devout Christian in the program struggles with those. I have good friends that are Christians in the program, and they struggle with that because of the whole notion of uh, having somebody uh, do a, a character exorcism on you. <laughs> it always, <laughs> a character exorcism on you isn't, isn't feasible and most of even, you know, the people I know, and, and I respect greatly, uh, the Christians, they turn to having a more uh, big picture view of asking God to empower them to, to change their character. And I decided when I was working through step six and seven, my versions in there, I'm going to call them the version, modern versions of those two steps, are, in, are versions that call a person to be self-directed, and personally empowered about their step six and seven, meaning you became entirely ready to make changes in your character. And second, step seven, began making changes in our thinking and behavior with humility and honesty. It's a, it's saying to you that those are steps where you need to go out and make change and affect change. And then the recommended actions in there, which you were referring to, I think, earlier, are for a person to take some of those character traits they learned about in doing the fourth step that's in the appendix and take some of those cognitive distortions that they might find are common to them and start reversing the process for themselves. Go out and practice the positive side of the character trait. And, and I, I recommend you have to go practice it. Glenn was doing the same thing for 50 years. 
and you don't turn that around overnight. There's no quick fix for your character and any stinking thinking. So my effort with step six and seven, both in their description and the recommended actions, was to make them more tactical, meaning not just thinking about doing it, but give you a path to actually go out and do it. And you, you have to do it. Yeah. You have to get out there and actually practice it. Yeah. So um, how long has this book been out now? It's been out since January. Since January. Okay. So just about three months. Mm-hmm. And what kind of, what kind of reaction have you had? Very good. I uh, actually beyond my expectation, you know, as a, an author putting out a book like that, I guess it's something like uh, writing a play and waiting for that first review right. or, or putting out that piece of art in a gallery and, you know, there's an element of that to it. And I don't have, I, I don't have a lot of expectations and pressure I put on myself because they take time because these are self-published books and they take time from a word of mouth standpoint. But I've had some great response. I've had uh, requests like this, like your request to do a podcast. Um, I know they're doing a review of the book uh, on AA Agnostica shortly. I'm doing a discussion with a group out in California. I'm opening a meeting around it. And I've already got some reviews. Uh, they take, they're a long time coming the way Amazon works, but I've actually got some, some reviews that uh, really made me feel good, you know, that I, I was hitting the right spot. Yeah. I will tell you this too. Um, for self-published books, there were no errors in the book that I could find. There were no grammatical errors. There were no spelling errors. I couldn't see anything of that. Usually you do find those in a, you know, so, but there it was just beautifully written. Uh, your language, the language that you use is really crisp and um, easy to understand, easy to read. It flows just naturally from one paragraph to the next, from one chapter to the next, building on your thoughts and your ideas. And um, it just, it's just a very um, pleasant book to read. Thank you. That, that's John, that's, that's the ultimate compliment. Yeah. And, I mean, when you compare it to what they're what you're giving new people now, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's really, really nice to be able to read something like that. That's, that's a real compliment, John. And because I put a lot of, I, I do put a lot of effort into that. The book, by time it's published, it's been through, I've had 10 people who I respect read it, both in and out of the program. People I know are well-read in that. I use a professional as a last step, use a professional editor to scrub it and go through that because they're available. There's good people out there to use. And I don't take that for granted. The, you know, I think if I'm going to publish something, you need to make it crisp and clear. And for you to, for you to say that to me is, is a real compliment because I, I work on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I could tell. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not easy. No, I wouldn't think it would be. And you know what the hardest part of it is, is real. You, you finish the whole book, let's say, and you go back and you read it a few times yourself and maybe have to kill off and rewrite a section because at that point is at that point and not based even on advice from others or anything, because I only ask them for, you know, the big bombs and things that are standing out, but you have to do that. You have to be willing to go off and kill off a section of the book and rewrite it so that the flow is good. It's not good enough to just go, Oh, that's, that's good enough. And you know, (laughs) yeah. That, yeah, writing writing is uh, painful for me. Uh, it's because it, it really is. It is a process of of uh, um, over and over and rewriting, and it's it's amazing. So you did good job. Did good job with that. 
Thank you very much. So people can find this on Amazon for sure and also on your website. And on the website. The reason for putting the website together, it's just a one-page simple website, um, not for myself personally, but for the book Tw- Modern 12-Step Recovery. What led me to doing it again was to make the uh, uh, 12 steps and the four-step process available to people so they could start using it. And uh, there are people using it. So it's. Well, thank you, Glenn. I really appreciate the time that you spent with me tonight to talk about this book. Um, I highly recommend it. I look forward to the um, review from AA Agnostica. As it comes thank out. you, John. It's, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.